Our scripture reading is from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Proverbs 3, 1 through 12. Let's hear the word of God. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord, and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel, and marrow to thy bones. Honor the Lord with thy substance. And with the first fruits of all thine increase, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the Son in whom he delighteth. May God bless the reading of his practical and precious word. Dear church family, about 42 years ago now, I was standing beside a farmer watching his barn burn to the ground. It was a real tragedy. So much of what he built up over the years was being taken away before his eyes. He appeared stoic about it, but I I knew that in his heart he was agonizing. And after just standing beside him a while, I said, brother, let's go to prayer. And he looked at me and he said, oh no, he said, this is just for material things. We don't need to pray about these things. (laughs) I said, but the Lord says, in all thy ways, acknowledge him and he will direct thy paths. No, no, he said, this is just material things. I didn't want to pray. That's wrong, congregation. That's dead wrong. God wants to be approached with the details of our lives. That's one of the beauties of God. He says, I have every hair of your head numbered. He's not a God who's just distant and capricious. He's a father. A father. My wife and I recently had someone in our home for several days, and when the person left, we said to each other, you know, he was such a a sweet man. You could talk to him so easy about anything. And even small details, he, he just... He would give you full attention, good listening. It was just a joy to be around him. That's like our Father in heaven. He hears the needy when they cry. He never says to you, that's too detailed, too small to bring to me. And so we may come and pray. Give us today our daily 
bread. We want to look at that tonight, also in the context of Lord's Day 50. It's Matthew 6, 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord's Day 50, question 125 of the Catechism says, which is the fourth petition, give us this day our daily bread. That is, be pleased to provide us with all things necessary for the body, that we may thereby acknowledge Thee to be the only fountain of all good, and that neither our care nor industry nor even Thy gifts can profit us without Thy blessing, and therefore that we may withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it alone in Thee. Well, with God's help, we want to look at this theme, our Father's amazing daily provision. We'll look at three thoughts. First, the petition for it. Second, the purchase of it. And third, the fruit of it. Petition, purchase, and fruit. So when we look at the petition, give us this day our daily bread, there are three questions we need to ask. The first question is, what do we mean? What do we mean by daily bread? Well, daily bread and drink is, a, is an expression that symbolizes all our daily physical, temporal needs. Bread is a staple food. In Bible times, it was even much more of a staple food than it is today. Actually, in Bible times, bread was a synonym for food. So if you say bread, you could also be meaning food. And food was a symbol for all your daily necessities, not just your physical food, but everything you need to live in this world. Clothing, shelter, all the things we need, a place to live, the strength and health to do our work, the wisdom to perform our daily tasks. That's all embedded in the expression, give us this day our daily bread. Even, you can say, it includes the idea of our natural senses that we use every day. Give us eyesight to see, hearing to to hear, taste, to enjoy thy gifts, appetite, digestion. Give us light and darkness. Give us cold and heat, summer and winter, rain and wind and sun. All the material things we need to continue our natural human existence. Well, you could say even more. It includes the common joys of normal, daily, healthy living the joys of family life, the relationship to our husbands or wives and with our children. Perhaps you prayed this morning, give us this day our daily bread. But did you realize as you prayed it that you you were praying really to have all the benefits that you get day by day to live a normal, decent life Life to the glory of God. Giving us this day our daily bread would even include, give us a mind to, to take in as we go up to God's house tonight. The sermon. You see, all these common grace blessings are included here. That of family fellowship. That of uh, general overall daily optimism and, and happiness. The basics of daily life, that we can, we can have an enjoyable life in the fear of God to the glory of God. So this is a much broader petition than you might first think, isn't it? You see, our tables may be filled. We may have food and drink. But if we don't have the other necessities of life, if there's a tension, a knife cutting in the air between husband and wife if there's an argumentative spirit among siblings, 
if there's little love and togetherness and unity in the family, that, that bread is tasteless. Where there's tension in the home, then you see daily necessities for normal functioning are not really present. Not emotionally present, at least. There's a wear and a tear on the whole fabric of, of family life. And so when we pray, give us this day, our daily bread, we're praying for our overall daily needs. Not just the slices of bread we eat or the water we drink. Children, for example, need not only bread, of course, they need the love of their parents. Husbands need not only bread, he needs, they need the love of their wives. Wives need, need not only bread, they need the love of their husbands. It's including common love. Now, these temporal needs, I say, are not insignificant to God. In fact, God actually works in us, doesn't he? In our daily lives, prayer needs that keep us on praying ground from things that disrupt our lives and bring unhappiness and distress and angst. God uses those things to keep us on praying ground. As Maurice Roberts so often says, most of our prayers are, that are spontaneous at least, are circumstantially motivated. God has a way, you see, of keeping us on praying ground so that there's real substance in this prayer when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, because who among us doesn't have problems or crosses to bear or issues where things aren't going the way you desire? And so God is saying, acknowledge me in all these ways, Proverbs 3, and I will direct your paths and We acknowledge Him when we pray day by day, essentially this, if not in these exact words, give us this day. Today, our daily bread. Now, the Lord gives us this opportunity to come to Him for these daily needs because He remembers that we are frail. He knows our frailty. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our proneness to sin. He remembers we are dust. And so He's this wonderful God who comes near not only with great spiritual blessings, as we heard this morning, about coming to the greater Boaz. Of course, the biggest issue of life, the one thing needful, finding our life in Christ. But He also is a tender Father who in and out of Christ comes and ministers to us for our daily needs. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? We often ask anxiously. But God says, I will deliver you even from these anxieties. And I will make you fit to serve me. Just come to me with all your needs, your soul needs, your bodily needs. And I will be there for you in your time of need. So that's the first thing. That's really what daily bread means. It's, it's an expansive, entire life encompassing petition for all the things we need related to our bodies, our emotions, our psychological concerns and fears. Give us this day our daily bread. Question number two. Why does this petition use plural pronouns? It jumps out at you, doesn't it? Give us this day our daily bread. Why doesn't, why doesn't it just say, give me this day my daily bread? Well, like all the other petitions in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is teaching us That when we pray, our prayers ought to also be intercessory even as we pray for ourselves. And we ought to include others in our petitions. We ought to pray even in natural things, corporately, for one another, for our entire family, for our entire church, for our entire nation, 
for our entire world. Give us this day our daily bread. The prayer even begins that way, doesn't it? Our Father, which art in heaven, and so on. So, we don't just pray for our own table. We pray for every table in our neighborhood, every table in our church, in our community, in the world. Give us this day our daily bread. Again, you see how broad this petition is. Actually, if you really pray it rightly, you're actually praying for your enemies as well. You're praying for those who are against you. Uh, When we have a heart for other people because we have a heart for God, then we want everyone included in our prayer. Give us all our daily bread this day. And so, give us this day our daily bread. Flies in the face of Cain's attitude. Abel? I don't know where Abel is. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? No, no. No, Jesus said. This is the way you are to pray. Because you are your brother's keeper. Give us this day our daily bread. And so, there's a sense in which this petition includes the whole world. And all the needs of the world. All the physical needs of the world. We ought to feel a need for starving peoples. For persecuted Christians. All around the globe. That's our duty. To lift them up with us. As we pray for daily bread. Now Paul tells us in Galatians, doesn't he? That we are peculiarly to pray. For fellow believers all around the world. Those with whom we have a unique kinship. We pray that the bread of the righteous may be sure. That their daily needs may be met. That God's people may radiate in their daily lives the joy of serving God. And be bonded one to another. Bearing the image of Christ. Showing that they're being made conformable to their Redeemer. The Lord Jesus, our Emmanuel. So, when we pray this petition, we do it corporately, not just individually. Then the third big question about the content of this petition is this. How is the petition, give us this day our daily bread, since it is so broad and so corporate and so world-reaching, how is it also very specific? And I answer the question by just simply saying this. Give us this day our daily bread. That's specific, isn't it? Give us today what do we need. Jesus isn't saying here we should ask for tomorrow or the coming week or the coming year. He doesn't ask us to live years in advance. But he says, pray this way. Give us today. Our daily bread. Now that doesn't mean we should be careless about the future. The Bible says other things as well. We're not to be Epicureans who say, well, let us eat and drink and be merry today and for tomorrow we die. This day, this specific day, doesn't mean that we're, we're careless or we disregard the future. No. Paul says in 1 Timothy 5, If any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he's denied the faith and is worse than, than an infidel. So you see, it's lawful to reserve some funds and some provisions for the future. But we must never lose sight. That's what Jesus is saying. We must never lose sight of our dire need for daily blessings. For daily blessings in dependency Upon the grace of God. When Joseph saw a famine coming, you know what he did, boys and girls. He built barns. He stockpiled the corn. So they had years of plenty. And then when the famine came, 
he had enough to feed the people. That was God's will, that was God's providence, and that was Joseph's wisdom. We also read in Proverbs, He that gathereth in summer is a wise son, but he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causes shame. Proverbs 10.5. So Jesus is not saying, don't lay anything up for the future. But he is saying, don't be overly anxious for the future and do walk day by day in faith, by faith, realizing that even if you have some reserves, you are dependent on me for each day and for each day's blessing. You don't know what a day will bring forth. We could all, any one of us could die today yet. We could die tomorrow. We could, we could become deathly sick. So every day God wants us to be dependent on Him. And He wants us to begin our day asking for daily strength for the day. Daily blessing for the day. Daily bread for the day. Now, what that means, of course, is that Jesus is asking for an attitude, an attitude in our hearts. An attitude that cultivates spontaneous prayer. It's not just that you pray that in the morning and then you don't pray again till noon. But what happens is every day, whether you're father, mother, worker, student, there are so many needs, so many things that we need from God to corral our thoughts without falling into sinful thoughts, to, to give us wisdom for our words and, and to, to guide our actions and wisdom that we need for, well, we all make, consciously or subconsciously, hundreds of decisions every single day. And so God would have us live a life of dependency where we're, we're asking him in spontaneous short prayers that go up throughout the day. Uh, you as a mother at home, how many times you don't cry out for your, for your children in one day? And sometimes we have to admit, don't we, most of our best prayers are prayers on our feet. Uh, prayers in the van, prayers along the way, prayers with our eyes open. Uh, while we're driving, perhaps, we're, we're asking for wisdom, we're asking for help, we're asking for patience, we're thanking Him for blessings, for His goodness, these little prayers that go up. And along the way, of course, come all these frustrations of daily life, and questions, and pain, and, and, and heartache, uh, because there's burdens and there's crosses, you see. And God wants us to bring all of that to Him every day. Sometimes even being so open, so completely honest with ourselves and honest with Him that we pour out our confusions and our worries and maybe even our anger at times and, and with a prayer that, that God would subdue it and make us submissive and teach us His ways. And so this isn't just a prayer that you pray for three meals a day. Give us food to eat now, Lord, and bless the food. This is something that is huge. It's an attitude of prayer. It's a praying without ceasing. It's a a crying out to God. Help me, Lord. Make me submissive to Thee. Let Let me live a life of constant, continual prayer with Thee as my Father, as my dearest companion and guide, that I might live my life in a way that is pleasing to Thee and honorable to Thee. And you children and teenagers, I want you to get from this sermon, you see, that the goal here is that every day of our lives we make God and His Word and His will the center and the focus of our lives. And that prayer is the sweetest thing, the most valuable thing we have because in this life because by prayer we go to God. He comes to us by His Word every day. But we go to Him back to prayer. Every relationship with everyone you have is a two-way street. They speak to you. You speak back to them. God speaks to us in the Bible. And we speak back to Him in prayer. And so that farmer was so dead wrong when he said we can only come with spiritual needs. We come every day. 
They come a dozen times a day, two dozen times a day, with short cries up to the throne of grace. Oh Lord, I want to acknowledge Thee also in this way. Help me on that school assignment. Help me in this building project. Help me with this particular child who's not responding well. Help me in my study. Help me in my preparation for sermons. Lord, I need Thee every day. I need Thee a thousand ways. Give us this day our daily bread. So, the point I'm making is, of course, simply this. We come to God best when we come to God in all our ways and realize that nothing is too small to bring to Him and nothing too big. And that is what makes a difference between the Christian religion and every other religion in the world. Do you ever think about that? Many polytheistic religions in the world today, if, if God is a cow or God is a tree or... A tree can't help you, boys and girls. A cow can't help you. They don't understand your petitions. They can't give you anything. They're powerless. And then you have Allah in Islam. He's almighty. He's sovereign. He's in the heavens. But there's no mediator. There's no Jesus. There's no one who became bone of our bone. And so Allah, you ask any Islamic person, they don't think of God as a father whatsoever in Christ. Oh, no, they would never dare use the word father for God. Because God is only capricious and very far away. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't count the hairs of our head. But through Jesus, through his purchase for his people, by his blood, you see, God becomes an intimate father in Christ and cares about our every need. And so only in Christianity do you have a God who's transcendent and almighty to help you and imminent and near at hand to help you in things big, in things small. A God who's comprehensive in His care for you. There's no other religion like it in the world. And it's possible because Christ Jesus became bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh and He came to purchase the right to help you in your every need so that This petition is really grounded for believers anyway. For unbelievers, it's just a common grace of God. But for believers, this is all flowing to them through the right hand of God's merciful favor in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's that's really our second um, point here that's important for for us to understand. Uh, Our instructor puts it this way. The fourth petition means, be pleased to provide us with all things necessary for the body, that we may thereby acknowledge thee to be the only fountain of all good. So that's our Father in heaven. He's the fountain of all good. And notice this, and that neither our care nor industry nor even gifts can profit us without thy blessing. You see, Jesus doesn't say, give us this day thy daily bread, but our daily bread. And that raises the question, you see, how is it possible that Jesus taught us to pray our daily bread as if we owned it, when he also says that all the cattle upon a thousand hills are his, and we can conclude from texts like that, well, we don't really possess anything. And in one sense, we're, we're right. Even our own children, though they belong to us in one way, they really belong to Him in another way. And we might say, well, I thought Jesus possessed everything. How, how does this work together in your second point tonight? The purchase of it by Christ, but He calls it ours. He calls it our daily bread. 
Well, I want to answer this. This is a very important question for our practical daily life. The way we look at daily life. I'll answer it in two ways. Number one, there are things that we work for in an honest way, right? You work hard through your honest work, your diligence, your faithfulness, and you receive something as a remuneration. This really belongs to you. Even if you're unconverted, you receive what you receive, though it's not stamped, maybe, with a, or isn't stamped with a special blessing of God, but it's a provision for you nonetheless. And you say, this is my provision. And you're right. Now, of course, there are things I need to add that to. There are things that you, a person can possess wrongly. And in God's eyes, they're not really our possession. For example, uh, the Bible speaks of the bread of idleness or the bread of violence. Violence is things you, you got through being violent or through stealing that don't really belong to you. You may say they belong to me, but if you stole something, it doesn't really belong to you in God's eyes. And same thing with idleness. If you just uh, say, well, I'm perfectly fit to go out and work and I can have a job, but I like, I like the government's welfare check. I'll just get help from the government and I'll just be lazy. Well, then everything you get from that government check, if you're able... Well, Paul says you're worse than an infidel. If you don't provide for your own, then the stuff you get, even though the government gave it to you from the government's eyes lawfully, it's not really lawful giving in God's eyes, and you're actually stealing from the American people. That type of thing. So, but normally, barring these exceptions, normally when you work hard for something and you receive it, it it belongs to you. And you have a right to it. You have a right of ownership. You have a right of possession. You earned the money to buy a car. That car is yours. Give us this day our daily bread. But there's another way, a second way of looking at this. That, in a sense, that car does not belong to you. That house does not belong to you. And... Your children do not belong to you. And if you're a true believer, you see, everything you have is purchased to you by the favorable mercies of God in Jesus Christ. And once you grasp that, there's a whole different way of looking at all the things you own. When you drive up to your home, you think, This is the home of God's provision. God's amazing provision. I don't deserve it. Uh, Yes, I worked hard for it, but I I don't deserve it. I'm a sinner. It's His grace to me in Christ. Uh, When you look at your cell phone, young people, you say, well, yeah, I've got this cell phone. I paid for it, but really, really it belongs to God. It's God's gift to me, and I must use it for His glory. I must use my house for His glory, my furniture for His glory. I must use my relationship. The wife I have is not really my wife, ultimately, but God's gift to me in Christ. And my children are all God's gifts to me. And so you begin to see that everything, everything you have is the gift of God to you through Jesus Christ. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 3. For all things are yours, but you are Christ, and Christ is God's. So you actually own all these things at one level, but you have them all in Christ, and because you belong to Christ, you belong to God. So really, the meek inherit the earth, and you're richer than the richest unconverted person in the world. But on the other hand, you own nothing, and you surrender all things to Christ. It's a paradox, but it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And it's only in this way, and this is the key point I want to get at, that you can enjoy what God gives you in this life at a level far beyond what the unsaved enjoy. So when you look at your home, when you look at your spouse, when you look at your children, 
and you see God's faithfulness, and you see God's covenant mercies, and you see that all these things you got undeserved through the merits of Jesus Christ, who died not only to give you spiritual blessings, but also natural blessings. It just humbles you to the dust. John Calvin said, only a child of God can truly enjoy the things of this world because he looks at all his possessions and says, these things have been purchased for me by the blood of Jesus Christ. They've been given to me because all things I receive in this world come to me through him. He purchased them. He bore hunger in the wilderness that I can every day have bread on my table. He suffered and died that in many sufferings which would otherwise accrue to me, he averts those sufferings and helps me and gives me wisdom to walk in his ways. You see, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And through what he has merited, and through his word coming to me, he gives me things and says to me, these are really yours both in the spiritual realm, actually, and in the natural realm. Also the spiritual realm. Old woman, great is thy faith. Well, wait a minute. It wasn't her faith. He gave it to her, right? Ah, yes, he gave it to her, but it's still hers. I think I used the example a couple times over the years, but I, I want to use it again here because it, it will paint a picture for you. When I was When our kids were at home yet, then... A few days before my birthday, my wife would always come to me like clockwork and say, the children want to buy you a gift. They, they, they have no money to, to buy the gift when they're very young. So I reach into my wallet. I give, them, I give my wife some money. She gives the money to the kids, and they go out shopping. They come back, and they give me something. Well, when they give it to me, I don't say to them, well, thanks a lot for that. I mean, that's my money anyway. Of course not. I say, thank you so much for your gift. But I gave them the ability to give the gift. And you see, it's that way not only with spiritual things, but even natural things. Okay, you say, I worked really hard and I earned that. But who gave you the diligence to work hard? Who gave you the optimism to work hard? Who gave you the energy to work hard? Who gave you the ability to blink your eyes and move your hands and take a hammer and nail it, that nail home if you're building a house? It's all the gift of God. Give us this day. Our daily bread. It all comes to a believer through Jesus. Through Jesus. So, he's the fountain, says our instructor, of all good. Every good thing you've ever received, if you're a believer, comes to you from Jesus. All your purchased possessions. All your given possessions. And so, it's all purchased by Him. Now, do you understand what a difference that makes in attitude if you actually see it? You walk into your living room and you see your furniture. And you see the walls decorated. And you see order. And you're, you feel cozy when you sit, don't you, in your, in your favorite chair. And you just look around. And you say... Lord, thou art faithful. But even more, when you see your children and your grandchildren come over, and they're all there, and you just look around, and you've got to stop yourself from crying, because, oh, the goodness of God. Oh, the goodness of God. And you enjoy them covenantally more than an unconverted person ever can. I remember when my parents were, my dad was still alive. He's, I think, 70. Yeah, I think it was his 70th birthday party, actually. We rented a gym. We had 160-some relatives there or something like that, counting all the generations. And my dad was just sitting there. He's just looking around. And I went over there and I sat beside him. I said, Dad, what are you thinking? And the tears began to roll. And he said, oh, the goodness of God. I look at all these children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren. I didn't deserve one of them. It's all covenant mercies. Give us this day our daily bread. It's all part of that. 
Every child you have, every grandchild you have is a gift of God. And you don't have a right to enjoy it apart from Christ. But in Christ, you enjoy it. You enjoy it. Now, one of our big problems in life, and uh, you, you, I think you all, you'll all identify with me on this, is we, we're so wicked. We're so wicked. We begin to take all of God's gifts for granted. And in the world in which we live, and with the kind of heart we have, we actually begin to think we've got a right to these things. And that's when we get in trouble. That's when we get in trouble. I once knew a baker, a baker really, really well, actually. He got very close to him. We had lots of good spiritual talks. When I was a teenager, and he was maybe 55 years old, I'll never forget he told me this. He said, in the early days, when I was a baker, in the early days, every single customer that walked into the store and bought something, as soon as they walked out, he said, I went into the back room and fell at my knees. When I put the money in the cash register, I thanked God for every penny that came in. And he said, later on, I got so busy. A thousand dollars could come in. And I went, I wouldn't thank him. Just too busy. And I began to take it all for granted. And you see, that's our problem. That's why we need a Lord's Day like this one. That's why we need to come back again and again to the Lord's Prayer. We need to cherish and treasure the small things of life that God gives us that we don't deserve. See, one of the greatest problems in daily life is that you take your spouse for granted. How many times did you thank your, your wife today, men, for helping get food on the table? Well, if you had three meals, I hope you thanked her at least three times. This is God's gift to you. This wonderful woman bringing you food every day. It's amazing. Do you deserve it? And I wonder if you, wives... How many times a week do you thank your husband for, for working and, and, and bringing home money so that food can come on the table? And he walks in the door. Do you ever wrap your arms around him and say, thank you, honey, so much for, for working for all of us today. I respect you so much and what you do. That's an important part of gratitude in marriage. But you see, our problem is we take each other for granted it's too easily as husband, wife, parents, children, in the church, take each other for granted. In our work, take each other for granted. And then when things go wrong, we complain. But if we saw who we really are and what we really deserve, everything that goes right, we ought to be filled with gratitude for. Give us this day, our daily Bread. Well, our instructor says three things should flow out of this, then, out of this meaning of daily bread and out of this purchase of daily bread. And I'm just calling that the fruit, the fruit of praying this petition rightly. And we'll look at those three things after we sing. Give us this day our daily bread means be pleased to provide us with all things necessary for the body that we may thereby acknowledge Thee to be the only fountain of all good. The only fountain of all good. So the first fruit is humility. Humility. That we acknowledge God to be the fountain of all good in our lives. No matter how hard we work, no matter what we do, that we recognize I cannot move a finger, I cannot blink an eye, I cannot think one good thought without God's enablement. Every good gift, James 1, and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. When you understand that, experientially in your soul, then you fall prostrate before the greater David, Jesus Christ, 
with Mephibosheth, and you say, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house, that thou dost think upon me, and that thou hast brought me hither to? You say with Mephibosheth, I am as a dead dog before thee. Every single good comes from the fountain of all good. And so then you learn to pray, give us. Everything good must be given because I have nothing good in myself by nature. In my flesh dwells no good thing. So that goes down to the blink of an eye. How many times a day do you blink, boys and girls? Did you ever look it up on the internet? Thousands. I forget the number, actually. Thousands and thousands of times. You blink every day. Who gave you the ability to blink? Who gave you that gift? God did. You know, I grew up in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and there was a man in that church who had severe multiple sclerosis, and it got so bad that he no longer had the ability to blink. And my family would go over there quite often. And I saw his mother, who was then about 80 years old. I saw his mother. He was in a wheelchair, and she'd have him put his head back. And every night, every night, she'd have to take a Q-tip and take all the stuff that got in his eye during the day. And his eyes were always bloodshot because he couldn't blink. If you couldn't blink, you'd have all kind of, kinds of junk in your eye by, the, by every nightfall. Did you ever thank the Lord for the gift of blinking? Did it ever humble you that your body has millions and millions and millions and millions, billions of parts? And you wake up, maybe you wake up tomorrow morning, and you've got no pain in billions of parts, and they've all been working for years and years. That's amazing. You thank God for His every good gift. You pray every day. Give us this day our daily bread. See, if you're a true believer, you realize more than if you're not a believer what you deserve, but you also realize more the value of what God gives you. Also in natural things. You're more humble. You're more humble. The second fruit is just the fruit of blessing. Blessing. The necessity of experiencing God's blessing in all His goodness. Our instructor goes on to say, and that neither our care nor industry nor even thy gifts can profit us without thy blessing. So what is he saying? Well, he's saying, the bread can be in your hands and you can eat it, but the blessing of the bread is in God's hands. Maybe you eat the bread and you get sick from it. But the blessing upon the bread, you see, rests in the hands of God. And so when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we pray not only for the bread that we need, but we pray for God's blessing upon the bread. And that's another thing we often take for granted, don't we? Now, my, my dad comes back into my mind right now, too. He went through a couple of heart attacks, as you may know. But afterward, he lost his appetite completely after one heart attack for, for a long time. And it was hard to get food down for a while, too. For the rest of his life, every single day, every single day at mealtime, he would pray, Lord, give us the ability to digest and an appetite for the food. I, I, until that time, I never even thought about it. Appetite? Of course you have an Appetite. Where'd you get the appetite from, boys and girls? From God. Some of you have had COVID and you lost your appetite. It's no fun. Not to be able to taste food. And then think about not being able to digest it well. That it gets stuck going down. A lot of people have that problem. Why don't you? You see, God needs to bless everything. If God doesn't bless the food we eat, it won't go well. If God doesn't bless our sleep, 
will be miserable. We need God's blessing upon everything we do and everything He gives us. If God gives you a cell phone and you, lose, you use it for sin, it will curse you. We need God's blessing on absolutely everything. And so, that's a fruit. A fruit of truly praying, give me this day our daily bread, means that we're not only humble, but we also learn our radical dependence on God to bless everything. Otherwise, things will go wrong or things will dysfunction. And how often we do experience that in our lives. And it drives us back to God. Oh, God, help. I've taken this for granted. Please forgive me. Give us this day our daily bread. And the third thing, the final thing for this sermon, is that when we pray this petition rightly, in truth and by the Spirit, it doesn't only produce a sense of humility and a a sense of our need for God's blessing, but also a sense of trust. That's the last thing our instructor says. And therefore, that we may withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it alone in thee. That's what you call dependency. You, you, you cast yourself upon God. You trust in God. I will never forget the day that I left Sioux Center, Iowa for New Jersey for my second church. And we were all packed. We're ready to go. We're, we're ready to pull out. In fact, we were pulling out of the driveway and uh, a man rolled in and he said, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. Well, didn't have the time, but he seemed very urgent. So took me onto the back porch. I took him onto the back porch there and he said, I have one thing to tell you. I, I want you never to forget. He said, remember, wherever you go, wherever you serve in your life, it was kind of a depressing message. He said, ultimately, you'll be disappointed in yourself and you'll be disappointed in every person because no one's perfect. But he said, you'll never be disappointed in God. So you remember that. And then he prayed for me and he left. And now, of course, we have good friends in life and people we can trust and people that are confidential and I don't think he meant that. But what he meant to say is, if you're looking for perfection in life, you won't find it in any creature. Only in God. And you trust in God alone. Supremely, superlatively, ultimately. Because He is always worthy of your total trust. He will never let you down. And so that's why you go to Him first of all. And you say, give us this day. Trustworthy God. Our daily bread. And so what are you saying? You're saying, Lord, I have nothing to say for myself. I have no rights. I've forfeited everything. But give me this day of forfeited daily bread. Give me this day forfeited daily clothing. Give me this Sabbath day of forfeited word that I receive. Give me, give me this day of forfeited appetite. I have forfeited everything. I've fallen in paradise. I deserve thorns and thistles only. I don't deserve water on my table. I, I deserve only thorns and thistles, but I trust Thee, Lord, for every undeserved gift. For Thou art the overflowing fountain of all good, and Thou art the ever faithful God. Give us this day our daily bread. I trust Thee, Lord. That's the way to live. You see, it's harder, it's harder spiritual work to pray this prayer rightly than it is to physically work for the bread that we eat. Because by nature, we don't want to admit we forfeited everything and we deserve nothing but death and hell. And that everything we depend on God for. We don't want to admit that. But when we are taught by the Holy Spirit that He must increase and we must decrease, we find a sweetness 
And what our instructor says here, that we may withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it alone in thee. There's a sweetness in trusting God alone. And what God often does is he brings disappointments into our lives through other people, through ourselves. He brings weakness, frailty, afflictions, trials. We get impacted by sin, also the sin of others, so that God gradually teaches us more and more through all the tragedies of life, through all the ups and downs of life, through the small inconveniences of life, and the big trials of life, You need me. You need me. Every day. Give us this day our daily bread. And it's not that these big trials always come to us because we sin. Of course, every trial is ultimately related back to our original sin. You know that. But sometimes trials come upon us for unexplainable reasons. When we haven't engaged in any known sin. Like John 9, the, the man born blind. Jesus said it wasn't that he or his parents had done some special sin. No. But God gives us trials sometimes in our lives just to empty our hands of our own self-sufficiency and make us totally dependent on Him. To trust in Him so that we can't do it anymore. And then when He breaks through and He does it for us and He blesses us, we are humbled to the dust and our trust is well grounded and we experience a greater binding, bonding to our God and a greater sweetness in that trust. And we say, Soli Deo Gloria, to Thee, O Lord, be all the honor and the glory. Well, It's not easy always to trust God, is it? When the barns are burning down or when they're empty. But the Holy Spirit can teach us that. So, no, we don't say, we don't need to pray about this burning barn. But we do say, we surrender the burning barn to God and we trust in Him. Like Habakkuk ends his precious three-chapter book. Although the fig tree... 3, 17 through 19. Shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. And the flock shall be cut off from the fold. There shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. For the Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like hinds feet. He will make me to walk upon high places. This is to truly pray. Give us this day our daily bread. And so, dear believer, to pray this prayer is no small thing, no trivial petition. It's a great thing. It covers all of life. It means that you have faith in God, even when the vessel, the oil in the vessel seems to be almost empty, and tomorrow you think it will be. And you can't go on another day. It means to keep looking to heaven. It means to keep looking eschatologically in all the disappointments of life to the final day when all wrongs shall be made right and we shall ever be with the Lord. Like the form prayer after meals in the back of our Psalter says it this way, that we may always look heavenward expecting our Lord Jesus Christ until He shall appear upon the clouds unto our redemption. Or like the Lord's Supper form says at the very end so beautifully, let us lift up our hearts on high toward heaven, whither all the articles of our faith do lead us. You see, God wants to, God wants to coordinate everything in our lives both the prosperities and the adversities, the trials, the joys, the dreams, the dashed hopes. Even He will use sin so that all things, as we heard last Tuesday, work together for good to them that love God so that we will be ripened and ready for that eternal day 
in which we will never have another need or another want forever and ever. Give us this day our daily bread. Humility, blessing, and trust. Ask God for that threefold fruit in your life as well. Amen. Great God of heaven, we ask thy benediction upon this sermon, and we pray, give us this day our daily bread. Show the unsaved among us the importance of coming into a right relationship with Jesus Christ, also for daily things, to understand them rightly, to appreciate them profoundly and to trust Thee superlatively. And let Thy people grow in this grace. Help us not to take Thy good things for granted and Thy adversities sent our way for granted. But help us to realize that it all works together for good to prepare us to be with Thee forever. In Jesus' name, amen.